The Ford F-150 truck drives smart design forward. The standard 12-inch productivity screen helps you get what you need done too. And the available pro-access tailgate improves access to bed and cargo and utilization of the bed, including when towing a trailer. Together with a wider bumper step, it's easier to access the bed and load in tight spaces. And available Pro Power Onboard serves as a mobile power source, providing up to 7.2 kilowatts of power to charge a bed full of electric dirt bikes or run an entire job site worth of tools. I'm still driving my 2016 F-150 truck and 90,000 miles in. As long as I keep it clean, it honestly still looks brand new. I've taken it down snow-covered forest service roads, taken it out camping, put a ton of miles on it on the freeway, had five adults in the cabin for long trips, and it's been great everywhere. Super dependable. I still love the way it looks, nice and rugged design, but with a super comfortable interior. And I'm still very happy with the quality sound system and heated seats. And since I bought my 2016 F-150 truck, the list of standard amenities that make a truck feel like a luxury vehicle have only grown. Tough this smart can only be called F-150. Find your local Ford dealer at Ford.com. Pro access tailgate available starting spring 2024. See owner's manual for important operating instructions. The legends are true. Overwhelming power. The sauce of destiny. Yes. The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of McDonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. The Department of Homeland Security, the enduring military occupation of Afghanistan that began its operation enduring freedom, and the global war on terror, TSA, the Transportation Security Administration, the Patriot Act, giving law enforcement agencies unprecedented search and surveillance powers over U.S. citizens without a warrant, the second Gulf War in Iraq, the toppling of Saddam Hussein's regime, all the legacy of al-Qaeda, Osama bin Laden, and the 19 terrorists who hijacked four U.S. planes on September 11th, 2001, toppling the Twin Towers of Manhattan's World Trade Center, burning down more of the World Trade Center complex, seriously damaging the Pentagon, and possibly destroying the White House itself, if not for the brave and courageous actions of some of the U.S. citizens who died that day. 9-11 changed the world forever, and since today is 9-11, we look back at what happened Leading up to that fateful day, what happened on September 11th, 2001, and the legacy it left? Terrorism and heroism, tyranny and patriotism get sucked today on Time Suck. You're listening to Time Suck. Welcome to the suck, diehard time suckers and fresh suck head faces looking to pop that time suck cherry. Hail Nimrod, Lord of Time Suck. Praise his faithful servant, Bojangles, one-eyed mascot of the suck, and glory to Michael motherfucking McDonald, bard of the suck. A lot of time suckers in Texas and now Florida dealing with hurricanes. Uh, The aftermath of Harvey, uh, Irma right now. If you'd like to help the hurricane relief effort in Florida, you can donate to the Red Cross. www.redcross.org. Link in the episode description. If you'd like to donate to the relief effort in Texas, go to JJ Watts Relief Fund at youcaring.com slash victims of Hurricane Harvey. Link in episode description. And if you're going to donate somewhere else, just be careful. There are scams running for both because there's pieces of shit always looking to exploit tragedy for their own personal gain. Also, 
uh, Time Suck hats are now in the shop. I couldn't be uh, prouder of how they came out. First and second generation hats hit in the shop at timesuckpodcast.com at the same damn time. Today, they're in there, and dear God, do I love them. Uh, two different styles and two different color combinations each to choose from. All hats uh, have been made out of 97% Komodo dragon toenails, 3% sea turtle wiener, uh, making them both durable and magnificent. Check them out in the shop at timesuckpodcast.com or on Instagram. Uh, this is the best merch that's been designed so far, man. Uh, big thanks to Designer and to Invade and the quality products of Dome Hats in Florida. A lot of Florida connections here at Timesuck. Uh, if you've bought merch from the Timesuck store at timesuckpodcast.com, it was designed in Florida. And it, uh, and it shipped out from Florida. Uh, hope all of those Tom and Dan uh, BDMs and Florida time suckers are staying safe right now. Tour dates. I met. I messed up last week. Uh, those of you who looked at the Columbus Funny Bone website uh, know uh, I'm at the Columbus Funny Bone this week, September 14th through 17th. Live podcast recording in Hollywood at the Improv, October 5th. Stand-up show at the Hollywood Improv, October 7th. With the guys from Small Town Murder and Crime and Sports. Oh, Jimmy and James going to be a blast. Helium in Portland, Oregon, October 12th through 14th. The Parlor Live in Bellevue, Washington, just outside Seattle on October 15th. Bananas Comedy Club in Hasbrook Heights, New Jersey, just outside Manhattan. Come on, New York time suckers. Head over there October 20th, 21st. More dates coming up on the website soon. And now a 900 review bonus episode is out this Friday. You got to pick between Mothman, the Zodiac Killer, and the Salem Witch Trials on Time Suck social media. Instagram and Twitter, and after getting hundreds of votes, the winner won by less than 10 votes. Third place was Mothman. Enough votes to stay on the topic list, you know, for down the road, not, not getting booted off. And winning just barely was the Salem Witch Trials. But Zodiac fans, uh, don't get sad. You know, you got enough votes to jump to the uh, top of the coming soon category. Won't be long before the Zodiac gets sucked as well. So excited. Uh, Salem was my choice. I was hoping for as well, to be totally honest. And I'm excited to suck on some puritanical paranoia this Friday, September 15th. Time sucker updates at the end of the episode. Now, time to get sucked on 9-11. Little disclaimer. There's going to be some irreverent comedy in this episode, like there is in every other time suck episode. Uh, if you lost someone, uh, you know, due to 9-11 or were involved in, in some way that is uh, an emotional trigger for you or has made an emotional trigger for you out of this day, you might want to bail. Totally get it and talk to you Friday, time sucker. I do hope you stay, though. Proud of this episode. A lot of good uh, 9-11 info in here, I, I believe. Also, if you have zero emotional connection to this event, but you just don't feel like it's okay to joke about in any way, any possible way, stop listening to the podcast. And, uh, and if you're the person, if you're that person and you've enjoyed any of the other episodes, I want you to grab your head firmly, both hands. Try your best to pull it out of your hypocritical ass where it apparently is firmly lodged. I mean, come on. I just I have I have no use for people who can joke about horrific events and tragedies that affect other people all day long. But then when that same humor is applied to an event they feel is off limits for whatever personal reason, the comedy comes to a grinding halt and suddenly it's all just hate speech. Suddenly this person has the audacity to find everything said terribly offensive. On a philosophical level, I feel like it's either okay to joke around about everything or it's not okay to joke about uh, anything at all. For me, when it comes to dark and or irreverent humor, it's it's all about how it's done. I'd like to think I do a pretty good job when it comes to not shaming victims, but instead just mocking perpetrators. You know, sometimes comedy can be found in the actions of victims, as in like, what are they thinking of? What were they thinking there? Kind of stuff. You know, like a recent example being the smoked nuts uh, dude from the Iceman episode. What the hell was he thinking? Not tapping out before his balls got melted. Um, 
But anyway, if you feel okay with how I've treated past subjects, listen on, you know. And, and if you just, if you if you don't think you'd enjoy my sense of humor applied to this subject, well, why are you, why are you still listening? Uh, go find something safe, something sanitized, some something utterly lacking in uh, in, <laughs> in balls, uh, utterly lacking in a desire to examine life in an unfiltered way. God knows there's a lot of that stuff out there. But I but I doubt I doubt any of you are turning off the the podcast right now because you're fucking time suckers. Unless you're new and you're like, what the hell has he been talking about? Turtle wieners. Nimrod, I thought this was edutainment. Okay, anyway, 9-11. Man, what a dark day for the United States. Uh, 9-11-2001 has to be the most shocking day in American history uh, or had to have been since Pearl Harbor. Pearl Harbor was long before my time, so, you know, I can only imagine what Americans felt that day uh, when, when they heard we were under attack or, you know, God, the people who actually saw it, experienced it. Uh, can't imagine. With 9-11, I, I actually can remember uh, I was asleep when the first tower struck, uh, and when my wife at the time, uh, she, she had just gotten to work and she called me and she woke me up. Uh, she, she told me a plane had just hit a skyscraper in New York and I, I thought she was joking. It was just such an absurd notion to me. Uh, she convinced me that she was not joking. Uh, I ran in, I turned on the news and, and I realized this actually was happening and it was so surreal Hard to even explain or, or articulate how surreal I felt watching. Uh, it was ABC News that I watched, and I, and I actually saw the second plane hit live on TV. Um, th- there's on YouTube, you know, the, the the broadcasts are up there for for everyone to see forever. And this is what I remember watching. What we're seeing, it appears that the there is more and more fire and smoke enveloping the very top of the building. And as fire wow. crews, you're just watching this descending on this smoke. Area plume off the it, top of this it doesn't look it does real not appear that there's any kind of a, and then you see the second plane now remember, and then oh my god wow that looks like a wow plane. still gives me chills we just saw another plane coming in from the side holy now you can hear the shock in their voices on that and i mean i, I remember feeling it I, again man my, i got goosebumps right now it just Ah, it's just so sickening to, uh, to watch, you know, just over 30 minutes later, the Pentagon is hit and suddenly, you know, Americans like myself, you know, we, we just lost forever. That feeling that as long as you were in America, as long as you're on American soil, you were safe from shit like that. I mean, you know, you, you knew if, you, if you've paid attention to world events at all that, you know, tragedies uh, affect other countries every day. Horrific tragedies, actually tragedies that in, in scale as far as loss of life. Uh, are, are are far more uh, destructive than what happened on 9-11. You know, there's genocides going on. I mean, there's terrible things that have gone on. But it just, it hadn't happened to us uh, here. And it hadn't happened in such a sudden, just out of nowhere way. Where, you know, on, on September 10th, everything seems fucking great. And then all of a sudden, just the world changed. It's like the world just went upside down, you know. And, and, and I don't remember feeling scared that something would happen where I was. I was living in Spokane, Washington at the time. Uh, I, I felt like, you know, that that had to be a low priority for any kind of, you know, in any kind of military target type way. But I remember thinking about, you know, friends in Chicago or L.A., like, what about those places? You know, what what next? You know, I, and then I ended up flying uh, on, on the one year anniversary of 9-11 later. And man, I was I was eyeballing the shit out of other passengers. I was eyeballing other passengers for several years, but especially on certain dates, you know, because it felt like something horrible could happen again. You know, because there were now there was a precedent, you know, who gets attacks attacked next, you know? Uh, another tragedy in the near future, in the in the early years of the aughts, it, it felt almost inevitable, you know. But now, seventeen y- years later, it just seems like a long time ago. And for better or for worse, I, I just you know I didn't 
stopped kind of thinking about it. And, and then I realized uh, I didn't remember the details of that day, which led to, uh, you know, what details led to that day and the legacy it left. So I thought, you know, let's, uh, let, let's, let's, let's re-examine it. So let's, so let's dig in and suck on some 9-11 facts. Let's educate ourselves uh, first with, with, the, with the lengthy time suck timeline. Strap on those boots, soldier. We're marching down a time suck timeline. Okay, so we're leading up to the events uh, 9-11. Uh, early spring 2001, the CIA repeatedly and urgently begins to warn the White House that a domestic terrorist attack is coming. May 2001, Kofor uh, Black, chief of the CIA's counterterrorism center, is, warns that it was very evident that we were going to be struck. We were going to be struck hard and lots of Americans were going to die. There were real plots being manifested. Kofor's former boss, former director of the CIA, George Tenet, said in an interview with journalist Chris Whipple, he said the world felt like it was on the edge of eruption. In this time period of June and July, the threat continues to rise. Terrorists were disappearing, as in hiding, in preparation for an attack. Camps were closing. Threat reports were on the rise. June 29, 2001, CIA continues to repeat warnings. Operatives connected to bin Laden, one reported on June 29th, expected the planned near-term attacks to have dramatic consequences, including major casualties. July 1st, 2001. Uh, July 1st, the brief stated that the operation had been delayed, but will occur soon. This is a brief to the White House. Some of the briefs again reminded Mr. Bush that the attack timing was flexible and that despite any perceived delay, the planned assault was on track. Then on July 10th, on the morning of July 10th, the head of the CIA's Al-Qaeda unit, Richard Blee, burst into Kofor Black's office, and he says, Chief, this is it, recounts Black. The information that we had compiled was absolutely compelling. It was multi-sourced, and it was sort of the last straw. Black and his deputy rushed to the director's office to brief Tenet. All agreed an urgent meeting at the White House was needed. Tenet picked up the, uh, the phone to Bush's national security advisor, Condoleezza Rice. I said, Condi, I have to come see you, Tenet remembers. It was one of the rare times in my seven years as CIA director where I said, I have to come see you. We're coming right now. We have to get there. Tenet vividly recalls the White House meeting with Rice and her team. President Bush was uh, on a trip to Boston uh, this day. This day. Uh, Richard Blee started by saying there will be significant terrorist attacks against the United States in the coming weeks or months. The attacks will be spectacular. They may be multiple. Al-Qaeda's intention is the destruction of the United States. And Condi said, what do you think we need to do? Black responded allegedly by slamming his fist on the table and saying, we need to go on a wartime footing now. August 6th, 2001, on the morning of August 6th, 2001, President George W. Bush receives a classified review of the threats posed by Osama bin Laden and his terrorist network, Al-Qaeda. That morning's presidential daily brief, the top secret document prepared by America's intelligence agencies, features the heading, bin Laden determined to strike in U.S. Now, if you're listening, you're thinking, how the hell could Bush just keep ignoring these warnings? I want you to cool your jets for a second. I am not a Bush apologist. I, I, I didn't even really like the guy in a gut level. He always seemed super phony to me with his, you know, I'm just a, I'm just a good old boy. Just, you know, kind of, I'm just a regular Texan, you know, yeah. <laughs> just, you know, that, that typical, I'm a common man. And I just never bought that because he was raised in wealth and privilege and he grew up completely insula insulated from the trials and tribulations of the common man, which is fine if you've grown up that way. But then, but then don't pretend you're, you know, some kind of ranch hand. You know, don't pretend you're you're more ranch hand than Yale grad. I, you know, I didn't vote for him, but I will defend him here. I don't think Bush ignoring CIA warnings is definitely uh, uh, outrageous and just recklessly irresponsible. You know, I don't think this behavior made him a shitty president. And I'll tell you why. The dude had a lot of other shit on his plate. 
Presidents, presidents are busy in a way I'm sure I will never fully comprehend, right? Like even on vacation, they, they have to be getting just bombarded with decisions all the goddamn time. So many decisions, really important decisions. You know, it, it, no president is ever just wandering around the White House just looking to, for something to do. Just, hey, is, uh, does anyone want to play ping pong or something? Anybody, anybody watch all the episodes of Breaking Bad tonight? You know, why not, man? I got, I got nothing to do. How's being president going, buddy? <sighs> boring. It's pretty boring, you know? I spend most of my time building model airplanes, actually. God, God damn, I'm so sick of model airplanes, you know? Just day in and day out. Nothing but glue and model airplanes being president. No, come on. Every president from George Washington to Donald Trump has been constantly bombarded. You know, with shit to do. You know, even even Trump, you know, and not, not to defend him either, not, you know, but it's like oh, people get all outraged about his tweeting, which that's a discussion for another podcast. But it's not it's not like he's doing that all day. Even he has a lot of shit to do. You know, he's making decisions all the time. And uh, so how many. So I just wonder how many other threats were being presented to Bush in the White House around that time. You know, we'll just we'll never know. I, I just highly doubt that, uh, uh, you know, an al-Qaeda terrorist attack is the only one. And remember, the CIA is, isn't even the only intelligence agency. There's, you know, there's army intelligence. There's other intelligence agencies talking to Bush and just so many other things. You know, w- w- you know, Will Ferrell used to do a hilarious impression of Bush as a bumbling idiot. Uh, my favorite was an <laughs> SNL sketch where Bush is batting around a, like a cat toy or some or some yarn. But, but that actually wasn't the truth. You know, it's, it's not like the CIA burst into the Oval Office to warn the White House about bin Laden and al-Qaeda and, and, and Bush, Cheney, and Condoleezza Rice were just in the middle of a monopoly game. You know, just just get out of here, Detective Tennant. I, I just put hotels on the orange ones. I just, I just did that. Condi hits New York Avenue and she's done. He has $1,000. <laughs> well, she only has 200 left, you know. She's got everything but two railroads mortgage. <laughs> this is good time. But, but, Mr. President, we need to talk about Bin Laden right now. I, I can, it can wait, poo-poo face, okay? Dick just, Dick just bought some new Nerf cannons. He just bought some new Nerf cannon blasters. I'll be damned if I don't get to hide in Lincoln's bedroom this afternoon. Condi and Dick will never find me there. They never, they never, God, oh, shit. You just made me give away my hideaway, the Director Tenet. Look what you made me do. God, man, how am I supposed to play Nerf today? Look. I'm, I'm, I'm also not saying Bush was right to ignore the warnings either, but I just think some benefit of doubt is in order. It's always, it's always easy to look at hindsight and point fingers like, hey, man, how could you ignore this? How could you ignore this one warning in the sea of a thousand warnings you got that week? You know, and again, maybe he was truly negligent and, and not heeding the CIA director's advice, but oftentimes politicians are put historically in lose-lose situations, you know. Follow up on every warning that comes across your desk and you're just a fool who wastes taxpayer money. Don't follow up on the one warning in a thousand that actually turns out to be something legitimate and then you're extremely negligent, you know, or, or even somehow complicit. Uh, always important to think about context with these, you know, even though, man, when I, as I research, so many journalists don't seem to give a shit about context. I guess it's not sexy. Uh, so what do we know? We know that the Bush administration did receive numerous warnings about an impending Al-Qaeda attack. We know that they did not act on those warnings. We don't know how many other situations they were dealing with at this time. So moving along. August 13th, 2001, soon-to-be hijackers Mohammed Atta and two other al-Qaeda recruits have a planned meeting in Las Vegas. Marwan uh, al-Shahi, Al-Shahai, uh, another Al-Qaeda recruit, purchases two four-inch pocket knives in Florida. August 16th, 2001, 
Zacharias Muzawi is arrested in Minnesota by the FBI and charged with an immigration violation after the flight school he was taking lessons at in Egan, Minnesota, becomes suspicious of him. Now, Muzawi would never be conclusively linked with 9-11, but he was linked to al-Qaeda and admitted to planning a separate terrorist attack of his own involving planes. Uh, That dude, currently serving life without the possibility of parole in the ADMAX maximum security federal prison in Fremont County, Colorado. After the arrest, the FBI sends a memo to the White House saying that they are concerned that Mazawi is involved in a plot to commit a terrorist attack. Uh, attack. In early August, many of the 19 hijackers uh, who would be involved in 9-11 uh, sign up for gym memberships. If they haven't done so already, they are physically preparing themselves to overtake flight crews on September 11th. Late August 2001, uh, five of the 19 hijackers, the ones who would take over American Airlines Flight 77, check into the Valencia Hotel just a few miles from the National Security Administration offices. Uh, They continue with flight training that they've been taking for months. They work at a gold gym. Money is wired into their accounts to purchase airline tickets. August 27, 2001, ringleader Muhammad Atta, the man who would pilot American Airlines Flight 11 into the North Tower of the World Trade Towers, flies to D.C., has a final meeting in the Valencia Hotel with Hani Hajur, uh, a man from Saudi Arabia who would be training as a pilot, and Nawaf uh, al-Hazmi, Salim al-Hazmi, Halid al-Midar, and Majid uh, Mugid. Uh, he purchases a utility toolkit featuring the knife he'd used to help overpower the crew on Flight 11. At the end of August, the hijackers are preparing for their deaths, closing bank accounts, ending leases, sending spare money to other Al-Qaeda accounts. All of the airline tickets have been obtained all one way. The hijackers will use cash from purchases from here on out. The four hijacker pilots have all completed their FAA training, including test flights, and all have their licenses. September 6th. 2011, Abdul Aziz Al-Omari and Satam Al-Squami, two of the American Airlines Flight 11 hijackers, check into the Park Inn in Boston. The United Airlines Flight 93 hijackers, Saeed Al-Gandhi, Ahmad Al-Hasnawi, Ziad Jara, and Ahmed Al-Nami, check into the Marriott Hotel at the Newark Newark Airport. The plot leaders, uh, Ziad uh, Jara, pilot of the United Flight 93 hijackers, and Muhammad Atta, uh, pilot of the American Airlines Flight 11 hijackers, meet up for a meal at the food factory, a Pakistani restaurant and buffet in Maryland. And I kind of wonder if there was any discussion about the disparity in hotel accommodations. This just stuck out to me uh, comedically. I mean, the, the Park Inn was a motor lodge. Torn down in 2005 after closing in 2004, the Newark Airport Marriott is a four, is a four-star hotel. I don't know if you've ever stayed in a motor lodge, but I've stayed in a ton. Uh, After over 15 years as a touring comic, I've stayed in every type of hotel imaginable. I've stayed in five-star hotels in the U.S. and abroad. And I've also stayed in places that make a basic Motel 6 room look like a goddamn honeymoon suite. And I can personally vouch for motor lodges, by and large, being super shitty. Like, probably not going to get room service in a motor lodge. Maybe pick up a rash. Probably not going to have a fitness center or spa in a motor lodge. May get into a fight with a junkie uh, crashing, you know, in the coin-operated washer and dryer room. Not going to have high uh, thread uh, uh, pillowcases, you know, high thread count pillowcases in the motor lodge. Probably going to get bloodstains on the carpet. You know, you get the idea. And so I I just think it's odd that one group of terrorists looking to sacrifice themselves for some bullshit spend their final days in luxury while some other assholes about to die for the same cause hang out in a dump. I just wish I could just, hey, hey, Muhammad, can we talk for a second about the, the rooms? Can we talk for a second about the hotels? Oh, no problem. Uh, how's Marriott? Marriott's great, Muhammad. I, it's just that the guys at the park inn are... 
they're a little irritated. What's what's wrong with the park inn? Are you are you kidding me, Muhammad? Come on, dude. They don't have room service. Like the guys at the Marriott, they, they have a candy machine that doesn't kick out candy. Just takes your quarters. Front desk doesn't care. Most time the guy's not even there. They don't have an indoor pool. Uh, they have an outdoor pool that looks like it's been closed since before the motel uh, ever opened. They can't they can't watch pay-per-view hotel movies. They've been watching old in the heat of the night reruns. TNT is the only channel that comes in. Just in the heat of the night. I know that sounds horrible, but that's what we hear. That's that's what that, that that's just going to be in their heads when they blow themselves the fuck up. Don't get me wrong. Happy to be part of the mission. They are happy. Praise Muhammad. All that jazz. They're looking forward to the virgins and all that shit. But it would be nice if the guys could walk around in a room that doesn't smell like B.O. and Kepis. A room they can walk around without having to leave their shoes on for the last few days on Earth. I don't know. I, I, I just know if, if someone had convinced me to be part of some suicide mission with a bunch of other dudes... And, and the other dudes are living it up at the Marriott while I'm laying on semen-stained sheets and listening to two meth heads fight in the next room, uh, I'd be upset. Anyway, September 9th, 2001, two days before 9-11, the New York Times publishes an article on their website examining the possibility of an al-Qaeda attack on the U.S. The article focuses on a videotape made by bin Laden, which was released in June of 2001. Uh, this article, curiously, was quickly removed after the 9-11 attack. Uh, bin Laden uh, taunts the U.S. in the article, which I which I heard about on a YouTube video and had to I almost kind of gave up trying to find. Tried about 50 different Google searchers looking for this article. Uh, you know, very, very, very tricky to find. Finally, I found a site, historycommons.org, that references it, includes a link to another site. That link was dead. But then they also had just wrote out the HTML article address uh, separately in the article. I cut and pasted that and actually found it in the New York Times website database. Um, and it really was their website. I navigated around to some other articles, you know, uh, it's titled America, the vulnerable meets a ruthless enemy. It's written by John F. Burns. Who knows why it's hard to find. Maybe a few people look for it. Uh, maybe someone doesn't want you to read it. I don't know. I feel like if it was, if it was truly meant to never be read, it would just be permanently removed from the times archives. Anyway, it states, Mr. Bin Laden seemed to gloat as he spoke in Arabic of future attacks on American targets that he said would dwarf those he had directed in the past. With small capabilities and with our faith, we can defeat the greatest military power of modern times, he said at one point. America is much weaker than it appears. At one point, the Saudi Arabian-born Mr. Bin Laden seemed to hint at a suicide attack in the United States. Over pictures of Sheikh Omar Abdel Rahman, Rahman, uh, the Egyptian-born Muslim cleric who was serving a life sentence in the U.S. for his role in the 1993 World Trade Center bombing, Mr. Bin Laden described the cleric as a hostage in an American jail. He added, we hear he is sick and that the Americans are treating him badly. Then addressing his followers, he shifted straight into an exhortation to martyrdom. You will not die needlessly, he said. Your lives are in the hands of God. It, it is interesting that the, that the same you know, uh, complex was attacked. I, I feel like that can't be a coincidence. I feel like that you know, Al-Qaeda had to have directed the attack against the World Trade Center because of it trying to be blown up before and, and them not completing it. It's uh, symbolic, I'm sure. September 10th, 2001, Muhammad Atta and Abdul Aziz Al-Omari, two of the American Airlines Flight 11 hijackers, eat, a, eat at a pizza hut on their way to Portland, Maine, uh, where they will catch a connecting flight to Boston the following morning. Again, th- thought that was odd. Really? Fucking pizza hut? That's what you're getting? Your last uh, full day on Earth? You're getting fucking pizza. Nothing against pizza. I actually like pizza hut. Uh, I like almost all pizza and eat it despite being lactose intolerant. Uh, Pizza Hut stuffed crust uh, pizza annihilates my colon. Just full jihad against my butt. But if I knew I was dying the next day, 
uh, fuck it. Fuck Pizza Hut and every other fast food chain. I'm going to, I'm going to eat something, you know, uh, a little more upscale. I don't know. I guess these guys figured that once they were, you know, up in uh, heaven, having sex with all their virgins, who cares? Another weird thing to wish for, but I never understood that. Uh, why would you want to have virgins in heaven? Like seriously, like if there was a heaven out there where you got to go and have a crazy amount of sex, I would not want, I would not want virgins at all. That would be the, that would be the bottom of the list. Uh, top of the list, uh, porn stars, top of the list, professionals. Uh, who know what they're doing, maybe can teach me some stuff. Anyway, also on September 10th, uh, National Security Agency agents intercept a conversation between two suspected al-Qaeda operatives, one saying the match begins tomorrow. The other says tomorrow is zero day. However, the speaker spoke in Arabic, and these conversations were not translated until September 12th. So that's unfortunate. All, all, all right, did, uh, did any of you just freak out a little bit, though, about the NSA tapping someone not yet convicted of anything? Uh, just tapping their phone. It did me. Made me stop with my research and Google, does the NSA tap our phones, which led me to an article in the Washington Post, and it says the following. Documents obtained by the Washington Post indicate that the National Security Agency is collecting billions of records a day to track the location of mobile phone users around the world. This bulk collection performed under the NSA's International Surveillance Authority taps into the telephone links of major telecommunications providers including some here in the U.S. The NSA collects this location and travel habit data to do, quote, target development, to find unknown associates of targets it already knows about. To accomplish this, the NSA compiles, compiles information on a vast database of devices and their locations. Most of those collected, by definition, are suspected of no wrongdoing. Officials say that they do not purposely collect U.S. phone locations in bulk, but a large number are swept up incidentally. Using these vast location databases, the NSA applies sophisticated analytics techniques to identify what it calls co-travelers, unknown associates who might be traveling with or meeting up with a known target. And then the article just kind of goes on to say that it's uh, totally legal for the NSA to do this, so apparently they can legally track the location travel patterns of any of us. But can they listen? After some more Googling in a word, yep. Uh... Under justification of national security, the National Security Agency can, in theory, listen to any conversation it wants. Odds are it's probably not listening to any of our conversations, though. You'd have to have millions of employees to, to keep an eye on everyone. But it scares the shit out of me that they can do this. And I think with tech advancement, think about this. With tech advancement, uh, eventually some uh, voice recognition program will be able to record and transcribe every conversation every single one of us has. And with advancements in cloud storage, eventually an agency like the NSA, in theory, will be able to analyze every conversation you know, with computers and store every conversation indefinitely. And then with advancements in processing speeds, you, know, you can just quickly look up anybody by their name and get a full history of everything they've ever said. Uh, over the phone, anything they've ever typed on a computer. It's fucking terrifying. Great for security, really bad for privacy. You know, it makes the possibility of our lives turning into a version of George Orwell's dystopian vision in his famous novel 1984, very real, right? Thought police, here we come. Uh, this is something we really need to think about as a society going forward. Reminds me of the dark web episode. How important is your privacy? Truly, you know, how much of it are you willing to trade for safety? And if you do trade privacy for safety, how likely is it that a future totalitarian regime, one that, you know, we may not know about, one that the people who eventually run it don't even know about yet, uh, will end up controlling all of us in a way humanity has never been controlled before thanks to this technology. I feel, I feel like I'm starting to appreciate the Matrix movies in a whole new way. I get it, Nero. I get it. 
Also, hijacker Jara uh, writes a letter to his girlfriend in Germany on the 10th. It says, amongst other things, I have done what I had to do. You should be very proud because it is an honor. And in the end, you will see that everyone will be happy. Such a strange rationalization. These guys weren't, uh, you know, these guys weren't evil to the core cartoonish villains. Uh, I'd argue that they were far more delusional than, than evil. Uh, they just thought they were on some mission from God. Right, like I'm, I'm learning to have more tolerance for religion as this podcast goes on. But when your religion asks you to kill for it and to kill innocent civilians, can we all agree that you need to find a new church? That's a real fucking bad one that you're going to. All right, it's going to get heavy now. Uh, uh, we're going to get into the day itself. But before we do, let's get light for a second. Let's lighten it up for a second. Check in with today's sponsor. Today's time suck is brought to you by Chubbies. What are Chubbies? Well, they're the, they're the best shorts in the beachwear game. You hate pants? Wear Chubbies. Sick of slacks? Throw them in the wood chipper. Throw on some chubbies. Wearing a snowsuit? Where the hell are you living? Burn it. Move to a more habitable location. Throw on some chubbies. Chubbies have amazing swimwear for men and women and great tops and everyday shorts as well. And the best name. Just love saying chubbies. Throw away your baggy board shorts, all right? Do, do you need to build a shed on the beach? You doing a remodel on the side of the lake today? No? Then throw away your cargo shorts, all right? Get a swimwear update and treat yourself to a fresh pair of chubbies. I love the chubbies Liberty trunks, man. When they get wet, you can see some stars and stripes. It's a really cool design. I love the cut. feel like I'm with it now when I'm at the pool. I even wore them around the house one night, which made my family think it was weird. But they were just so comfortable, I didn't want to take them off. And, and it, it, it made my dream of a hot tub feel a little more real wearing swim trunks around the house. So you know what? Go get chubbies. Go to chubbies.com slash timesuck today to get free two-day shipping on your order. That's right. You get them fast and free. That's chubbies. C-H-U-B-B-I-E-S, C-H-U-B-B-I-E-S dot com slash time suck to get your chubbies in just two business days. Chubbies.com slash time suck. Link in the episode description. Thank you for supporting our sponsors. Okay, 9-11, 2001, here we go. 6.50 a.m., Mohammed Atta and Abdul Aziz Alamari's flight from Portland, Maine arrives on time at Boston's Logan Airport. 7.45 a.m., Muhammad Atta and Abdul uh, board American Airlines Flight 11. 7.59 a.m., American Airlines Flight 11, Boeing 767, with 92 people on board, uh, 81 passengers, 9 flight attendants, 2 pilots, takes off from Boston's Logan International Airport en route to L.A., Los Angeles. If the number of people on board doesn't seem right to you, it's because various websites, books, documentaries, etc., report a varying amount of passengers. The general consensus and most likely number seems to be 92 on this flight. I've done my best to uh, to use the most often quoted and reliable number for the other flights as well. 8.14 a.m., United Flights, uh, United Airlines Flight 175, a Boeing 767 with 65 people aboard, uh, takes off from Boston, also headed to Los Angeles. 8.19 a.m., flight attendants aboard, uh, on board, flight 11, alert, ground personnel that the plane has been hijacked. American Airlines notifies the FBI. Can't imagine how scary that must have been. 8.20 a.m., American Airlines Flight 77 takes off from Dole's International Airport just outside of Washington, D.C. The Boeing 757 is headed to Los Angeles with 64 people aboard. 8.24 a.m., hijacker Mohammed Atta makes the first of two accidental transmissions from Flight 11 to ground control, apparently in an attempt to communicate with the plane's cabin. 8.40 a.m., the Federal Aviation Administration, FAA, alerts North American Aerospace Defense Command, NORAD's Northeast Air Defense Sector, NEEDS, 
about the suspected hijacking of Flight 11. In response, Need scrambles two fighter planes located at Cape Cod's Otis Air National Guard base to locate and tail Flight 11. Everything happens so fast that they are still not yet in the air when Flight 11 crashes into the North Tower. 8.41 a.m., Flight 93 took off from Newark International Airport in Newark, New Jersey, uh, later renamed Liberty International Airport, at 8.41 a.m. The flight left from Terminal A, Gate 17. The scheduled departure time from Gate was 8 a.m. Flight 93 was scheduled to land at San Francisco International Airport at 11.14 a.m. Pacific Time. There were 44 people on board, two pilots, five flight attendants, 33 passengers, four hijackers. There were six passengers and four hijackers in first class and 27 passengers in coach. 8.46 a.m., Muhammad Atta and the other hijackers aboard American Airlines Flight 11 crashed a plane into floors 93 through 99 of the North Tower in the World Trade Center, killing everyone on board and hundreds inside the building immediately. 8.47 a.m., within seconds, NYPD and Fire Department New York FDNY forces dispatch units to the World Trade Center while Port Authority Police Department officers on site began immediate evacuation of the North Tower. 8.50 a.m., White House Chief of Staff Andrew Card alerts President George W. Bush that a plane has hit the World Trade Center. The president is visiting an elementary school in Sarasota, Florida at the time. Now, Bush's reaction to getting this information will be ridiculed and judged by people like Michael Moore, who made a big deal out of it in, in, his, in his documentary Fahrenheit 9-11, the highest grossing documentary of all time, by the way, uh, grossing anywhere from $250 million to $500 million, depending on who you ask. And look, I like some of what Michael Moore does, but sometimes he sensationalizes the shit out of his arguments to the point that I feel like he delegitimizes the solid underlying point he may have that he's trying to make. And, and this is an example. Uh, I didn't like how he handled this. Bush was informed of the initial attack during a school visit in Florida, but he kept reading the, the kid's story about a pet goat before he was eventually escorted to Air Force One. Bush calmly continued chatting with the children after being informed, showing no sign that anything was amiss, and then several minutes later, he excused himself and he left. Conspiracy theorists and Michael Moore took his calm reaction and delayed a few minutes as a sign that somehow like, he knew the attacks were coming, like it was all kind of part of some plan. Some, give me a fucking break. He's reading a book to kids. And he doesn't want to tip his hand to the rest of the world. You know, this is being filmed until he gets a better understanding of what's happening. What, what did people want him to do in that moment? Just run, run around the room screaming, Oh God, kids! Oh God, we're all gonna die! We're all gonna die! Oh, I don't even know who's attacking us. Tell Dick to push the red buttons. Push all the red buttons! Oh, we're gonna kill everybody before they kill us. Go to the basement, kids. Grab some knives. Oh, protect yourselves from the inevitable moment when your parents decide they're gonna have to eat you in a post-nuclear apocalyptic world we're all about to be living in. Oh God! How is panicking helping, right? And, and he finishes really quickly and then he leaves. To me, he did a great job here. That, 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 that's me. I, I, I don't know what would be the ideal way to, I mean, again, it was a few minutes and, and, and we're, they're just figuring out. And it's not like uh, nobody else can do anything in those few minutes, right? There are other people in government, other people in the military who can, who can kind of move things along in these situations. 9.02 a.m. After initially instructing tenants of the WCTC's South Tower to remain in the building, Port Authority officials broadcast orders to evacuate both towers via the public address system. An estimated 10,000 to 14,000 people are already in the process of evacuating. 9.03 a.m. Hijackers crash United Airlines Flight 175 into floor 75 through 85 of the South Tower. That's what we heard at the beginning of this episode, killing everyone on board and hundreds again inside the building. 9.08 a.m. The FAA bans all takeoffs of flights going to New York City through or through the airspace around the city. 9.21 a.m. The Port 
Authority closes all bridges and tunnels in the New York City area. 9.24 a.m., the FAA notifies needs of the suspected hijacking of Flight 77 after some passengers and crew aboard are able to alert family members on the ground. 9.31 a.m., speaking from Florida, President Bush calls the events in uh, New York City an apparent terrorist attack on our country. This is less than an hour from when he, when he found out about it, by the way. Uh, I don't think that's a crazy long time to have to wait for an official reaction. You want to take in all the information. 9.37 a.m., hijackers aboard Flight 77 crashed a plane into the western facade of the Pentagon of Washington, D.C., killing 59 uh, aboard the plane and 125 military and civilian personnel inside the building. 9.42 a.m., for the first time in history, the FAA grounds all flights over or bound for the continental U.S., some 3,300 commercial flights, additional 1,200 private planes are guided to various airports over the next two and a half hours. You know that some jaded, travel-weary businessmen were losing their shit when this happened. At least one dude in some airport bar, you know, had to have said something to the effect of, I'm, I, look, I'm cool risking it. I'm cool risking it. I need to make it to that goddamn meeting. Uh, 9.45 a.m. Amid escalating rumors of other attacks, the White House and U.S. Capitol buildings are evacuated, along with numerous other high-profile buildings, landmarks, and public spaces. 9.59 a.m. The South Tower of the World Trade Center collapses. 10.07 a.m. After passengers and crew members aboard the hijacked Flight 93 contact friends and family and learn about the attacks in Newark and Washington, they mount an attempt to retake the plane. In response, hijackers deliberately crashed a plane into a field in Somerset County, Pennsylvania, killing all 40 passengers and crew aboard. High-ranking al-Qaeda detainee, thought to be Abdul, uh, Abu Zubaydah, uh, would tell investigators the attended target for Flight 93 was the White House. Imagine that. As horrific as the tower's attack was, the symbolism of someone destroying the White House, I mean, like a plane crashing into and just obliterating the White House that would have been even, uh, I, I think, much more damaging to the collective psyche of the nation. Uh, whack. I mean, that's just that seems unimaginable. 10.28 a.m., the World Trade Center's North Tower collapses 102 minutes after being struck by Flight 11. 11 a.m., Mayor Rudolph uh, Giuliani, uh, Giuliani, there we go, uh, calls for the evacuation of Lower Manhattan, south of Canal Street, including more than one million residents, workers, and tourists, as efforts continue throughout the afternoon to search for survivors of the World Trade Center site. 1 p.m. from a U.S. Air Force base in Louisiana, President Bush announces the U.S. military forces are on high alert worldwide. 2.51 p.m. U.S. Navy dispatches missile destroyers to New York and Washington, D.C. 5.20 p.m. 47-story uh, uh, Building 7 of the World Trade Center collapses after burning for hours. The building had been evacuated in the morning. There are no casualties, though the collapse forces uh, rescue workers to flee for their lives. 6.58 p.m., President Bush returns to the White House after stops at military bases in Louisiana and Nebraska. 8.30 p.m., less than 12 hours after first hearing of the attacks, President Bush addresses the nation, calling the attacks evil, despicable acts of terror and declaring that America, its friends, and allies would stand together to win the war against terrorism. Before we move on to the aftermath, uh, some quick facts about the magnitude of 9-11. Uh, at the World Trade Center site in Lower Manhattan, 2,753 people were killed when hijacked American uh, Airlines Flight 11 and United Airlines Flight 175 were intentionally crashed into the towers. Of those who perished during the initial attacks and the subsequent collapses of the towers, 343 were New York City firefighters. That's, that's a crazy number. 343 firefighters. 23 were New York City police officers, and 37 were officers at the Port Authority. Uh, 
The victims ranged in age from 2 to 85 years. Approximately 75 to 80 percent uh, of the victims were male. At the Pentagon in, in Washington, 184 additional people were killed when hijacked American Airlines Flight 77 crashed in the building. And then there's Shanksville, Pennsylvania, the, the 40 passengers and crew uh, of American or, or of United Air, Airlines Flight 93 died when the plane crashed into the field. As of August 2017, 1,641 uh, or 60% of the 2,753 World Trade Center victims' remains have been positively identified. Uh, okay, so now, before we hop out of the timeline to address the specific uh, causalities uh, or casualties and uh, heroics of rescuers kind of involved in the 9-11 attacks themselves, let's, let's look at some key dates uh, in the aftermath. September 13, 2001, the White House announces that there is overwhelming evidence that Osama bin Laden is behind the attacks. September 14th, Congre Congress authorizes President Bush to use all necessary and appropriate force against those nations, organizations, or persons he determines planned, authorized, committed, or aided the terrorist attacks that occurred on September 11th. September 16th, Osama bin Laden denies any involvement in the 9-11 attacks in a statement to Al uh, on Al Jazeera television saying, I would like to assure the world that I did not plan the recent attacks, which seems to have been planned by people for personal reasons. <laughs> I feel like bin Laden must have had a moment here. When he, like, the reality hit him and he truly understood the consequences of his actions. Like, before 9-11, talking mad shit about how he's going to tear the U.S. a new asshole. And, and then, as the U.S. begins to mobilize for war and he's their primary target, the primary target of the most powerful military organization in the world, there had to have been a little bit of just like, oh, shit. Oh, shit. Oh, this is not going to bode well for me. I, uh, I may have underestimated how hard it would be to bring America to its knees. Uh, how many active military uh, military personnel does the U.S. have today? Around 1.5 million. 1.5 million. Okay. Uh, with far more in reserves and many, many, many more expected to sign up uh, almost immediately. <sighs> okay. 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 H how many properly trained jihadists do we have ready to fight right now? Two to 300. <sighs> what if we include old men and young boys? Maybe 500. Motherfucker. What if we count all the guys who are willing to throw rocks on our behalf uh, to fight infidels? Brings us up to about a thousand. Fuck. Uh, is it too late to say I am very sorry? Uh, September 18th, 2001, Justice Department publishes an interim regulation allowing non-citizens suspected of terrorism to be detained without charge for 48 hours or an additional reasonable period of time in the event of an emergency or other extraordinary circumstance. The new rule is used to, to hold hundreds indefinitely until the U.S. Patriot Act passes in October. September 20, 2001, President Bush announces that new cabinet-level Office of Homeland Security is going to be led by Pre Pennsylvania Governor Tom Ridge. Ridge later becomes Secretary of, a, of the new Homeland Security Department. In an address to a joint session of Congress, President Bush declares, Every nation in every region now has a decision to make. Either you are with us or you are with the terrorists. From this day forward, any nation that continues to harbor or support terrorism will be regarded by the United States as a hostile regime. Uh, British Prime Minister Tony Blair meets with President George Bush at the White House. According to former British Ambassador Sir Christopher Meyer, who also attended the dinner, Bush indicates that he is determined to remove Saddam Hussein from power. When we have dealt with Afghanistan, we must come back to Iraq. Now, I've never had a big problem with the you're with us or against us rhetoric. I interpreted that as, as either you're okay with terrorists attacking the U.S., against us, or you are okay with uh, uh, us attacking terrorists who, who attack us, and you're not going to help those specific people out uh, for us. Uh, 
I, I did used to have a huge problem with the why do they hate us, they hate our freedom kind of rhetoric that was being thrown around at this time. Uh, looking back, though, I realized that that quote was actually uh, wildly taken out of context. Bush was mocked for being an idiot who misspoke a lot, but the dude did go to Yale. And the hate our freedom was a soundbite pulled from a much larger speech he delivered on September 20th. That was excellent, actually, uh, when you look back at it. Here's an expert. Americans are asking, why do they hate us? They hate what they see right here in this chamber, a democratically elected government. Their leaders are self-appointed. They hate our freedoms, our freedom of religion, our freedom of speech, our freedom to vote and assemble and disagree with each other. They want to overthrow existing governments in many Muslim countries such as Egypt. Saudi Arabia, and Jordan. They want to drive Israel out of the Middle East. They want to drive Christians and Jews out of vast regions of Asia and Africa. These terrorists kill not merely to end lives, but to disrupt and end a way of life. With every atrocity, they hope that America grows fearful, retreating from the world and forsaking our friends. They stand against us because we stand in their way. We are not deceived by their pretenses to piety. We've seen their kind before, they're the heirs of all the murderous ideologies of the 20th century. By sacrificing human life to serve their radical visions, by abandoning every value except the will to power, they follow in the path of fascism, Nazism, and totalitarianism. And they will follow that path all the way to where it ends in history's unmarked grave of discarded lies. Hey, Bush, if you want, but that's a, that's a great speech. All right? That, that's a great speech. Not saying we didn't have additional motives to go into Iraq, uh, other than fighting for freedom and to, you know, liberate people, but solid speech. Uh, yeah, really solid speech. October 4th, 2001, British Prime Minister Tony Blair, speaking before an emergency session of Parliament, says that three of the 19 9-11 hijackers have been positively identified as known associates of Osama bin Laden. October 5th, 2001, a photographer for the tabloid newspaper The Sun dies of inhalation anthrax or of inhaling anthrax, excuse me, in Boca Raton, Florida, over the next several weeks, along with several false alarms. Uh, four other letters containing anthrax are received by NBC News, The New York Post, Senate Majority Leader Tom Daschle, Senate, uh, and Senator Patrick Leahy. Uh, Eleven people are infected, five people die. God, I remember those anthrax murders, man. That added such a new level of fear to the whole situation. Killing people by putting powder in an envelope. It made you think, just like, what next? Is someone going to poison our water supply? Just kill thousands of us at once or millions? Biological warfare. Man, think about the possibilities of biological warfare if you feel like you're sleeping too well right now. If you're like, you know what? I've been sleeping really sound at night. I just, the second my head hits the pillow, just not a care in the world, and just out I go. Just, just lay there and just think about the biological and chemical warfare possibilities, and maybe that'll help keep you up. October 5th, 2001, 1,000 soldiers from the U.S. Army's 10th Mountain Division are sent to, central, to the Central Asian nation of Uzbekistan, which borders Afghanistan and rhymes with Kazakhstan, and for some reason just made me think of Soundgarden Spoonman. Spoonman! Come together with your hands, save me. I'm together with your plan. You know what I mean? Never understood that song at all, right? What kind of plan does a dude who uses spoons as a musical instrument have? The guy seems like someone with super shitty plans. He, he couldn't even form a plan to get to a music store. He couldn't even plan ahead to get a proper instrument. Anyway, I know that was a weird detour. October 7th. 2001, U.S. and British forces begin airstrikes in Afghanistan after the Taliban refuses to hand over al-Qaeda leader Osama bin Laden. Blamed for the 9-11 attacks, the operation was named Operation Enduring Freedom. Troops have remained in Afghanistan ever since. There are currently roughly 8,400 U.S. troops in Afghanistan, uh, down from a peak of about 100,000 in 2010-2011. 
Over 2,000 U.S. Uh, military personnel have died in Afghanistan since 2001. Operation During Freedom uh, would technically end in 2014, but troops remain, and according to the balance.com, the conflicts in Afghanistan have cost over a trillion dollars so far. October 26, 2001, President Bush signs the U.S. Patriot Act into law. The Patriot Act was the first of many changes to surveillance laws that made it easier for the government to spy on ordinary Americans by expanding the authority to monitor phone and email communications, collect bank and credit reporting records, track the activity of innocent Americans on the Internet. While most Americans think it was created to catch terrorists, uh, the Patriot Act actually turns regular citizens into suspects. You know, and, and, and it was. It may very well have been created to catch terrorists. But, you know, uh, according to the ACLU, the American Civil Liberties uh, Union, uh, between 2003 and 2006, the FBI used the Patriot Act to issue national security letters authorizing unlimited access to 192,499 Americans' emails, uh, cell phone, banking, and internet browsing history. The result of one conviction. So does that one arrest justify the incredible invasion to the privacy of all the other people? <laughs> do you want the government to be able to look uh, you know, into exactly whatever you're looking at online, just whenever they feel like it, if it might lead to somebody's arrest? No wrong answer to that, just something to think about. Uh, side note, those FBI agents must have come across so much porn, right? Like so much, like an insane amount. Must have had a lot of moments of just like, Tom, 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 come look at this one. Come, is, that, is that legal? Oh, damn it, Dale. What even is that? Is that three dicks? Is that three dicks? How do they all fit in there? Who's looking at that? November 5th, uh, 2001, the Justice Department announces that it has put uh, 1,182 people into secret custody since 9-11. I do remember hearing a a lot of lock them up talk around the time of 9-11 regarding Middle Eastern people. We've locked up, man, people so many times, just random people. We locked up 120,000 Japanese citizens during World War II. Did that make us safer? Maybe, maybe not. Did it fuck up the lives? Of, uh, you know, tens of thousands of U.S. citizens' families? Oh, yeah, 100% for sure. I've talked to people whose families uh, were uh, devastated by that. Uh, I met some uh, Persian musicians recently doing a podcast. Awesome podcast, actually, by the way. It's going to be out after a little while called Nomad Land. The guys running are fantastic. And Irfan, uh, he told me about him, how him and his family were sent to a prison in Lancaster, California back in 2001. Just thrown right in uh, amongst violent offenders and, and just left there for weeks. And why? Because they were from Iran. That, that's it. That's literally the only reason. Uh, he's not even a, a religious guy, you know, neither is his family. But they were questioned for hours about, you know, like, like what mosque did you go to? You know, what's going on there? He didn't even go to one. You know, and if you're of the mindset that, that you have to do things like that sometimes, that is justified. Maybe it is. But I also want you to ask yourself, what if it was you and your lineage? Would it, would it be cool then? Truly? You know, like if you're a basic Caucasian mutt like me, what if, what if Ireland did something? What if England did? Maybe Sweden. Should every American of Swedish or English or Irish descent be sent to prison? To me, uh, what they did was so obviously racist. That's why it bothered me. It bothered me because it felt super racist. And here's why I think that. In a fair-skinned country, uh, or I'm sorry, if a fair-skinned country suddenly went terrorist, we absolutely would handle it differently than we do when a brown-skinned country does it. And as I've said before, this isn't liberal white guilt speaking. I don't have that, right? I don't feel guilty about the sins of my ancestors or whatever. I don't, that's not how I think. Uh, to me, it's just logic, Right, America is an amazing nation, amazing nation. But unfortunately, like all nations, it's run by people. Sometimes people behave in illogical ways, and I and I just uh, I, I just I just think like if the IRA started blowing up planes tomorrow, no fucking way is every redhead with freckles and a last name of Murphy or uh, or uh, O'Sullivan being tossed in a prison. It's gonna be handled differently. November nineteenth, two thousand one, TSA is formed. Man, the dreaded TSA. I say that as someone who flies way too much. If you work for TSA, I get it, man. This is a job. 
happy that you have it. That you know, I'm sure you are keeping it safe, and I do appreciate it. That be said, that, be, that being said, ah oh man, such a fucking thorn in the in the side of the traveler. I've almost missed so many flights over long security lines. Before 9-11, man, airlines did have security, but it was so relaxed. There was uh, X-ray machines, metal detectors mandated by the Institution of Universal Passenger Screenings in 1973. Before 1973, it was uh, really was like Wild West, you know, for TSA. You could always, you know, you could leave your shoes on. You could bring small knives, bats, scissors, fucking brass knuckles, <laughs> whatever, on flights. You could, you could bring whatever liquids you wanted. you go right to the gate without a ticket. And then Bin Laden shit on all that. And his shoe bomber made it worse later. You know, some assholes in 2006 snuck some liquid explosives on. Now we all get hassled every time we try and sneak water under the flight. And I don't see it ever going back, damn it. Okay, November 21st, 2001. Speaking of the Thanksgiving dinner for troops and their families at Fort Campbell, Kentucky, President Bush states Afghanistan is just the beginning on the war against terror. There are other terrorists who threaten America and our friends, and there are other nations willing to sponsor them. We will not be secure as a nation until all of these threats are defeated. Across the world and across the years, we will fight these evil ones and we will win. All right. Uh, December 17th, 2001, uh, the Northern Alliance defeats Taliban forces in the Battle of Tora Bora, eliminating the last major pocket of Taliban resistance and effectively ending the Afghan war. January 29th, 2002, in a State of a Union address, President Bush de- describes an axis of evil between Iraq, Iran, and North Korea. Osama bin Laden is not mentioned in the speech. J- July 30th, 2002, Richard Butler, former UN's weapon inspector from Australia, tells the Senate Foreign Relations Committee, I have seen no evidence of Iraq providing weapons of mass destruction to non-Iraqi terrorist groups. September 8th, 2002, appearing on CNN National Security Advisor, Condoleezza Rice charges that there have been shipments of high-quality aluminum tubes that are only really suited for nuclear weapons programs, centrifuge programs. Uh, the problem here is that there will be always... Always be some uncertainty about how quickly he uh, can acquire wet nuclear weapons, but we don't want the smoking gun to be a mushroom cloud. Vice President Cheney says on NBC's Meet the Press, we do know with absolute certainty that Saddam Hussein is using his procurement system to acquire the equipment he needs in order to enrich uranium to build a nuclear weapon. In a front-page story, the New York Times reports that Iraq has obtained has attempted to obtain aluminum tubes, which U.S. intelligence believes are intended for use in a nuclear weapons program. September 17th, 2002, the U.S. military releases a national security strategy making the Bush Doctrine of Preemptive Military Action Official Policy, very similar to a draft defense planning guidance uh, written 10 years earlier by Paul Wolfowitz, now Deputy Secretary of Defense. The White House releases a detailed timeline depicting past Iraqi attempts to obstruct uh, U.N. efforts, including Saddam's repeated refusals to provide inspectors access to sites they wanted to visit. September 19, 2002, Iraqi Foreign Minister Naji Sabri tells the UN, I hereby declare before you that Iraq is totally clear of all nuclear, chemical, and biological weapons. The White House delivers a draft of strongly worded, uh, a strongly worded resolution to Congress authorizing the president to use all appropriate means against Iraq. UN we- uh, Chief Weapons Inspector Hans Blix tells the Security Council that he intends to position an advanced weapons inspection team in Iraq by October 15th. Uh, September 23rd, 2002, three retired four-star generals testify before the Senate Armed Services Committee, warning that a unilateral strike against Iraq without UN approval might limit aid from allies, create more recruits for al-Qaeda, and subvert long-term U.S. diplomatic and economic interests. A fourth general urges the committee to support the use of military force against Iraq. September 28, 2002, the U.S. and Britain present a jointly drafted resolution to the other permanent members of the U.N. Security Council that seeks to authorize the use of military action against Iraq. 
in the event that Saddam's regime fails to comply with new demands outlined in the resolution. Uh, hundreds of thousands of people gathered in London to protest uh, that military action in Iraq, by the way. October 11, 2002, Congress passed a joint re- resolution authorizing Bush to use military force against Iraq. November 18, uh, a team of 26 U.N. weapons inspectors arrive in Baghdad. November 25th, President Bush signs legislation creating the Department of Homeland Security. Uh, 18 international arms monitors, including 12 inspectors from the U.N. Monitoring Verification and Inspection Commission and eight from the International Atomic Energy Agency uh, arrive in Baghdad. December 6, UN Chief Weapons Inspector Hans Blix calls the U.S. to share its secret intelligence. It says, of course, we would like to have as much information from any member state as to evidence they may have on weapons of mass destruction and particular sites. January 8, 2003, Britain urges the Bush administration to hold off its planned invasion of Iraq. A senior source in the British government tells the London Telegraph, the prime minister has made it clear that unless there is a smoking gun, the inspectors have to be given time to keep searching. January 29th, Secretary of Defense Donald Rumsfeld charges that Saddam's regime has a design for a nuclear weapon. Uh, February 28, 2003, in a report to UN Security Council members, Chief Wep- okay, Hans Blix uh, says there is no evidence to support the U.S. and British claim that Iraq has weapons of mass destruction or that has any programs to develop such weapons. So the Chief Weapons Inspector says didn't find anything. But then, uh, March 18, 2003, President Bush gives Saddam Hussein in a nationally televised speech 48 hours to leave Iraq or the U.S. will begin military action. <laughs> Man, we have some serious balls. Can you imagine if some other nation was like, hey, we think you had something to do with Canada fucking with us a couple months ago. So here is the deal. Trump has 48 hours to get out and he has to take pants with him. And hey, Hillary doesn't get to take his place either. OK, we don't like any of it. And we're going to tell you how to handle the new election. And if you don't like that, if you don't like any of this, what I'm saying, uh, another alternative is to bomb you into fucking oblivion. God, I love the smell of napalm in the morning. I mean, really think about that. Look, and I'm not saying uh, we're wrong to do stuff like that sometimes. I don't have access to classified military intelligence. Don't truly know what we're up against. I'm just saying, man, no wonder the, a lot of the world hates us. You know, when you push people around like that, right or wrong, you're going to get people being like, dude, that's not fucking cool. You know, like say you're the biggest patriot who's ever lived. No one could love America more than you. But, but then say you happen to have been born in another country, you know, and our country is telling your leader he can get out or he can, or you guys can get fucking hammered. You know, if you happen to like your leader, you know, you're probably not going to, probably not going to love us. Probably going to see us as a giant bully. And again, side note, as an American, how cool is it that we have that much power? I mean, seriously, th- this is one of the great, <laughs> great things about being an American. Sometimes I think my criticism comes across as anti-patriotic. Now I'm a huge patriot. Love America. Uh, you know, I, I think we should always strive to be better. I think that's part of patriotism is striving to be better. One of the things that makes us great, uh, you know, as a great nation, we have a responsibility to treat others and ourselves as justly as possible. And, uh, but also I do like that we are so powerful. Uh, as someone who's not a hero himself, um, like I'm never like the baddest dude on the block. You know, I, I love being the baddest through association. So, so quick, uh, big thanks to all my military suckers out there for letting me feel that. Thanks to you, brave women. I get to be part of the toughest nation in the world. Seriously, everyone is afraid of us, and they should be because we could fucking destroy any other country in the world if we wanted. That is intense if you really think about it. Uh, I don't think we should you know, do that. Uh, but again, nice, inter- internationally speaking, to be able to swing the biggest dick in whatever room we happen to be in. Okay. Uh, also, for my international listeners, uh, I don't doubt that your nation is also amazing in its own way. I do not. But when it comes to might, you know that I'm right. We would destroy you if we needed to. Insert evil villain laugh there. Uh, March 19, 2003, Bush orders military action against Iraq. And then on March 20, 90 minutes uh, after the 
hour deadline expires, 5.30 a.m. local time, explosions are heard in Baghdad. President Bush announces that he has ordered the coalition to launch an attack of opportunity against specified targets in Iraq. Troops from the U.S., Britain, Australia, Poland invade Iraq, uh, other countries as well. Uh, Bush sends a letter to Congress saying that he has determined that further diplomacy will not protect the U.S. and that the U.S. is continuing to take the necessary actions against international terrorists and terrorist organizations, including those nations, organizations, or persons who planned, authorized, committed, or aided the terrorist attacks that occurred on September 11th. The conflict in Iraq would last over eight years, right, until Sunday, December 18th, 2011. The second Gulf War, far too big and messy to properly dig into this suck. It deserves a suck of its, uh, on its own, possibly even a two-parter. First Gulf War could be an entirely second uh, additional suck. Stats on the war uh, vary wildly from source to source. The most even-handed source I could find on it was a 2013 article from businessinsider.com. I like this site. You know, they seem to, they don't seem to do a tremendous amount of editorializing. And, and here's some of the stats they gave on this war. Uh, 189,000 direct war deaths, which does include the hundreds of thousands more that died due to war-related hardships. 4,488 U.S. service personnel killed directly. 32,223 troops injured, not including PTSD. 134,000 civilians killed directly. Other sources, such as Brown University's Watson Institute, suggest that number is at least as high as 165,000. Uh, 655,000 people died in Iraq since the invasion that would not have died if the invasion had not occurred. 150 reporters killed. 2.8 million people remain either internally displaced or have fled the nation. $1.7 trillion in war expenses that have been spent by the U.S. Treasury Department as through the fiscal year 2013. Again, again this number is highly debated. Uh, some sources think uh, well over $3 trillion is the real number. $490 billion amount in war benefits owed to war veterans. $7 trillion projected interest payments due by 2053. $20 billion uh, amount paid to K uh, KBR, a contractor responsible for equipment and services. $3 billion. Amount of KBR payments Pentagon auditors consider questionable. $60 billion amount paid for reconstruction, which was largely in, uh, ruled to be just a complete waste of money due to corruption and shoddy work. That's fucking terrible. Just throwing away $60 billion. Uh, missing $546 million in spare parts, including 190,000 guns. Uh, that's terrifying. Uh, 40, so a lot of shit went on the black market. 40% uh, increase in Iraqi oil production. $5 billion uh, revenue from Iraqi oil in 2003. 85 billion revenue from Iraqi oil in 2011. 150 billion amount oil companies are expected to invest in oil development over the next decade. 75 billion approximate amount expected to go to American subcontracting companies, largest of all is Halliburton, and zero weapons of mass destruction found. Though a bunch of chemical weapons were discovered. Okay, so clearly big oil had a lot to gain from the Iraq invasion. More on that later. That's a timeline. Now let's pop out and take a look at 9-11 specifically uh, a little more closely. Good job, soldier. You've made it back. Barely. All right, so that's 9-11. That's uh, what led up to it in, in its aftermath? I just felt it was important to kind of address the Gulf War, the second one, since that came, uh, you know, a direct result of 9-11. Yeah. Uh, so who was Al-Qaeda? Translated as the base or the foundation, Al-Qaeda is now, according to Mark Sagman, or Sageman, a psychiatrist and former Central Intelligence Agency officer, a loose label for a movement that seems to target the West. There is no umbrella organization. We like to create a mythical entity called Al-Qaeda in our minds, but it's, it's, in reality, it's, it's not an, a true organization that we're dealing with. 
Bin Laden himself said the same thing about the organization back in the fall of 2001. They're just a, a shadow organization of various jihadists who, frankly, just hate a lot of shit. Uh, jihadists are to Muslims what snake charmers are to Christians, what polygamists are to Mormons, an extreme version of an otherwise moderate religion. Uh, unfortunately, jihadists are, are, are much more violent than other religions extremists. I've talked to many Muslims about jihadists, and I can assure you no one hates jihadists more than moderate Muslims, especially uh, moderate Muslims from Middle Eastern countries, because every time those fucking assholes do something, you know, then these other innocent people get a lot more concerned stares out in public and backlash. Jihadists are extremely misguided Muslims who may have a legitimate reason to be angry at the West. Like, for example, you know, you'd hate us too if your family designed as a result of collateral damage from a U.S. airstrike. I mean, give me a fucking break. Who wouldn't, you know, hate us in that situation? But but to think that blowing up a bunch of innocent civilians is somehow some ethically justified revenge for, you know, your innocent family members dying, that's insane. You know, now you're just becoming the person that you claim to hate. Uh, and look, while I, while I think America does do shitty things to other countries sometimes, I, I don't think that makes us a bad nation. I want to say that. America does, uh, you know, more than any other nation in the world to kind of keep its citizens safe. And you don't get to do that and not get your hands dirty. Uh, I understand both sides, man. I understand, I understand why some people hate us. I also understand why we have to kill those people, despite how valid their reasons may be to keep ourselves safe. The world is fucking bloody and brutal. Always has been. Probably always, you know, always will. At least will be uh, uh, for the foreseeable future until we become post-human robots. No, no, no actually, then we'll probably still fight each other. We'll have robot fights, which sounds awesome. Or, or eventually, maybe robot versus alien fights. Even more awesome. Terminator meets Predator. Okay. I'm spiraling, I'm spiraling out. Time to refocus on jihadists. Uh, from what I've read, most jihadists are just dumb kids, you know, misled, manipulated into, into some religious death mission by a violent sociopath like bin Laden, a guy who's never going to, you know, go on a suicide mission by himself. And who was bin Laden? Well, you know, first off, before being killed by Navy SEALs on May 2nd, 2011, he was an extremely wealthy man. He was the son of a billionaire, born in Saudi Arabia on March 10, 1957. Family made their money in construction. Close uh, friends of the royal family in Saudi Arabia. He had multiple wives, fathered at least 20 kids, and, and was a religious zealot who called upon Americans to convert to Islam and to reject the immoral acts of fornication, homosexuality, intoxicants, gambling, and usury in a letter published in late 2002. I always love the religious dude uh, who's fucking multiple women. Just the, the blatant misogynist ca casting harsh judgment on the sexual morals of others. The, the hypocrisy. Uh, bin Laden was a piece of shit uh, who I hope suffered when those seals shot him. He was a guy who embraced civilian murder openly as a method of legitimate warfare. He was a man who did hate America for having a secular government and not a religious-based government. He truly, you know, when Bush was saying that stuff about, you know, that he they hate our freedom, actually, Bin Laden actually did. He actually did hate our freedom. Uh, he was a passionately anti-American, anti-Semitic dude who delusional, uh, delusionally believed he could help, you know, bring America to its knees by starting some religious crusade. And, uh, okay, so that's Bin Laden. Maybe someday I'll do a Bin Laden suck to explore his life in more depth. Uh, for now, uh, all I want to address it, it, with him is that rumor of a CIA connection. That's the only additional thing. Was Bin Laden trained by the CIA? Yeah, kind of. But listen, the more I learn about the CIA, the more I understand their motives. And frankly, I'm not bothered by a lot of them. You know, like we talked a lot on the suck about the Cold War and America's obsession with Soviet expansion during World War II, post-World War II. Uh, and the obsession does have merit. You know, Soviets ex expand far enough and America's democratic way of life will, you know, be threatened. And uh, the Soviets did invade Afghanistan in 1979. You know, they were trying to push into Afghanistan. Bin Laden left Saudi Arabia to fight the Soviet army. 
1994, he's running a front organization known as Maktab al-Kidmar, uh, the MAK, which funneled money, arms, and fighters from the outside world into the Afghan, uh, Afghan war. And the MAK was nurtured by Pakistan State Security Services, the Inter-Services Intelligence Agency, uh, ISI, and ISI was the CIA's primary conduit for conducting the covert war against Maca- uh, Moscow's occupation of Afghanistan. So did he receive CIA, CIA assistance? Technically, he did. The CIA did not want the Soviets to take over Afghanistan, and I don't blame them. So they helped whoever was fighting the Soviets, and bin Laden happened to be on that team. And that's it. That's the, that's the connection. Yeah, so sometimes, you know, when you're, when you're helping one bad guy kill another bad guy and you, and you have to train that bad guy and give them weapons to get the job done, then you end up, you know, creating uh, another monster that's going to create more blowback on the U.S. and more problems. I think that's just kind of, you know, the way the cookie crumbles uh, and possibly just a, a necessary reality. Okay, so now before we remember the heroics of Americans on 9-11, I want to end on that note. Let's look at 9-11 conspiracies. I know that's why a lot of you wanted to hear this episode. Christopher Bader, a sociologist at Chapman University in California, uh, led and completed a study in late 2016 about various conspiracy theories. 1,511 Americans uh, ages 18 and over took part in a national survey of fears, and 54.3% of those surveyed agreed or strongly agreed that the government was hiding an important information about 9-11. However, to put this uh, fear in context, nearly one-third of respondents uh, also believed that the government is concealing information about the North Dakota crash a theory that the researchers just made up for the study. That is so funny to me that they, they did that. God, they must have laughed hard about that. You know, just listening to people say stuff, you know. Uh, hell yeah, they're not telling us everything they know about the North Dakota crash. North Dakota crash, just, you know, just never, it never seemed right to me. There was always just something, uh, something fishy about it. I mean, why would, why would something crash in North Dakota? Why, you know, why would it just, why wouldn't it not crash? You know, I think it's because I think it's because the government didn't want it to do. Wait, uh, hold on. Wait, wait, what what crashed in North Dakota again? I just can't quite remember. Um, so what are the 9-11 conspiracies? Well, essentially, all the common ones are variants of the same conspiracy. And that, that's the one that says 9-11 was an inside job used to justify the Iraq invasion. You know, so Cheney could make his Halliburton money and Bush could make his oil money. Now, did Bush have a lot of connections to the oil industry? Yes, and he does, and, and, and they still do. The Bush family has had connections with a variety of petroleum companies and have made a lot of money in oil for decades. All right, that's, that is true. And yes, a variety of U.S. oil-connected companies did make billions because of the Iraq War. And yes, Dick Cheney was the president of Halliburton before he became vice president, one of the world's largest oil field service companies with operations in more than 70 countries that own hundreds of subsidiaries, affiliates, branches, brands, divisions worldwide. And Halliburton made over $40 billion. And Iraq contracts in the second Gulf War, that's a lot of fucking money. And many contracts were given to Halliburton without bidding from competing firms, such as $568 million contract renewal in 2010 uh, to provide housing, meals, water, and bathroom services to soldiers, a deal that led to a Justice Department lawsuit over alleged kickbacks. That's documented financial history, but that does not mean the government uh, killed people to kick this off. See, that's the the jump in logic I'm very uh, unsure about. Right, just because I mean, if an opportunity comes up for these people to use their connections to make a lot of money, of course they're going to take it. Maybe the you know the the whole thing about weapons of mass destruction. Uh, I'm not going to say that they were outright just lying and making that up. Uh, were they probably strongly forcing themselves to believe that narrative because of the money they would make? That's very possible to me. 
Um, but let's but let's look at okay, what do conspiracy theorists though believe about 9-11 being an inside job? Um, here's the questions that come up. Why did the world's most powerful air force fail to intercept any of the four hijacked planes? Conspiracy theorists say that uh, U.S. you know Vice President Dick Cheney ordered the military to stand down and not intercept the planes. Here's what official reports say. This was a highly unusual multiple hijacking with violence on board and where the transponder, which identifies the plane, was turned off or changed. What is more, a routine military training exercise happened to be taking place this day at the U.S. Air Defense Command. Air Traffic Controller Colin Scoggins was in constant contact with the military, did not see a lack of response from the military. There was confusion and a lack of communication between the civilian air traffic control and the military. The military's equipment was outdated and designed to be looking in a different direction, looking across the ocean to deal with a Cold War threat, not domestically. So there's that. And remember, this is all happening very fast with no real precedent for this type of thing happening. Uh, even the world's best military can't prepare for absolutely everything. Or another question, why did the Twin Towers collapse so quickly within their own footprint after fires on a few floors that lasted only for an hour or two? Conspiracy theorists say the Twin Towers were destroyed by controlled demolitions. Theories relate to the rapid collapse, about 10 seconds, the relatively short-lived fires, 56 minutes in World Trade Center 2, or 102 minutes in the World Trade Center 1, reports of the sounds of explosions shortly before the collapse and the violent ejections that could be seen at some windows many floors below the collapse. Uh, below the collapse. Official reports say an extensive inquiry by the National Institute of Standards and Technology concluded that the planes severed and damaged support columns and dislodged fireproofing. Around 10,000 gallons of jet fuel was spewed over many floors, starting widespread fires. Temperatures of up to 800 degrees Fahrenheit caused the floors to sag and the perimeter columns to bend, causing the sounds of explosions. The massive weight of the floors dropped, creating a dynamic load far in excess of what the columns were designed to hold. Debris was forced out of the windows as the floors collapsed. Controlled demolition is nearly always carried out from the bottom floors up, yet this collapse started at the top. No evidence has ever been found of explosive charges despite the extensive hand searches, and there is no evidence of any pre-cutting of columns or walls, which is routinely carried out in a controlled demolition. Next question. How could an amateur pilot fly a commercial plane in a complicated maneuver and crash it into the Pentagon, the headquarters of the world's most powerful military, 78 minutes after the first report of a possible hijack and leave no trace? Well, conspiracy theorists will say a commercial Boeing 757 did not hit the building, but instead it was a missile, a small aircraft, or an unmanned drone. But since evidence has increasingly shown that American Airlines Flight 77 did hit the building, the emphasis uh, in conspiracies has shifted to questioning the difficult approach maneuver. It's argued that it was not under the control of Al-Qaeda, but the Pentagon itself. Okay. Official reports say airplane wreckage, including the black boxes, were recovered from the scene, were cataloged by the FBI. Although some early video did not show much wreckage, there is a good deal of video and still photography which shows plane wreckage and evidence of the flight path, such as broken lampposts. The remains of crew and passengers on the plane were found and positively identified by DNA. Witnesses also saw the plane strike the Pentagon. Next question. Why was the crash site at Shanksville, Pennsylvania so small and why was the aircraft debris not visible? Conspiracy theorists argue it was because United Airlines Flight 93 was shot down by a missile and disintegrated in midair. Official reports say there are clear photographs showing aircraft wreckage uh, and the cockpit voice recorder, which showed there had been a passenger revolt and the hijackers had delivered to crash, crash the plane. Initial theories that heavy debris was scattered many miles from the main crash site turned out to be false. In fact, the wind had blown light debris, such as paper and insulation, just over a mile. Final question, how could a skyscraper, which was not hit by a plane, collapse so quickly and symmetrically 
when uh, no other steel frame skyscraper has collapsed because of fire. Conspiracy theorists say the World Trade Center Building 7 was destroyed by a controlled demolition using both explosives and incendiaries. Uh, initially, the focus was on the phrase pull it used by the owner of the building, Larry Silverstein, in a TV interview. But in fact, he was talking about pulling firefighters back. Demolition experts do not use the term pull it as slang for setting off explosives. Now, the focus has shifted to the speed of the collapse, which reached near freefall for 2.25 seconds. It's argued that only explosives can make a collapse so quickly. Some scientists who are skeptical of the official account have examined four dust samples from ground zero and claim to have found thermitic material, which reacts violently when heated up. They claim tons of thermite and conventional explosives were rigged inside, not just uh, WTC-7, but also the Twin Towers. Here's what official reports say. A three-year investigation by the National Institute of Standards and Technology concluded that the building collapsed because of uncontrolled fires, started by the collapse of the nearby North Tower, and which, burned, uh, which made it burn for seven hours. The main water lines feeding the emergency sprinkler systems uh, were severed. No evidence has ever been found of explosive charges, and there are no recordings of a series of very loud explosions that would have been expected with controlled demolition. Furthermore, there is an alternative explanation for the thermitic material the skeptical scientists found in the dust. It's just a type of primer paint. It's calculated 1,200,000 tons of building materials were pulverized at the World Trade Center, and most minerals are present in that dust. A uh, more extensive sampling of the dust has not found any evidence of thermite or explosives, says a report from the U.S. Geological Survey and another from R.J. Lee. So that's the best analysis I can find. Make of it what you will. So much focus on being a controlled demolition. Why did the towers need to fall? Think about that. You can see planes hitting them. Why, after the planes hit them, did the towers need to actually fall for this conspiracy to work? That's what I think about. Like, think about that logic. It's like you're saying that the U.S. could justify attacking Islamic terrorists if the towers fell. But they couldn't justify it as the towers just got hit by planes and people died that way. Or my missiles, whatever you believe. That, that's craziness to me, right? Like, like, like they're going, so are we, are, are we going to attack terrorists in Afghanistan and then invade Iraq, Mr. President? No. No, we're not. Look, I'm not happy about terrorists flying planes into those towers in the Pentagon. But it's not like the towers actually fell. You know what I mean? So, uh, you know, no big whoop. No. Uh, so take the controlled demolitions argument and shove it up your ass. That's that's it's not valid. Doesn't matter. Uh, that, that was probably a little strong. You don't have to shove them up your ass. I just don't believe it. You know, you can take them back out of your ass. Take them. That was too much. Take them back down. Pull. Get in there. I'll give you a second. Reach in your butt. I apologize. Pull them back down. I just I just don't think that matters. Uh, I don't think it's an inside job. And I'm gonna tell you why. If America really wanted to go to Iraq and make that oil money, make that Halliburton money, which I'm not saying they didn't. I just don't think they needed 9-11 to make that happen. They could just make up some bullshit intelligence report regarding weapons of mass destruction, which they may have done. You know, uh, if the U.S. says, hey, man, we have strong reason to believe that so-and-so is developing nuclear weapons and will attack us with them and we're not going to let that happen. And the U.N.'s like, uh, I don't think that's true, which is what happened in the second Gulf War. And then we just go into anyways, you know, which we did. No one fucking does anything to us. You know, no one else really wanted to attack Iraq other than we did. You know, Britain kind of went along with it. You know, maybe Australia, but no one was like gung ho like we were. It, it's kind of like North Korea. Like we don't need uh, another nine eleven type to to justify an attack in North Korea. If we really want to fuck North Korea, we're just going to do it, whether the UN agrees with it not. And 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 there's not going to be significant blowback because we're the US. We can just make up some reasons and we can just do. I, to me, that's that's just reality. Now, now there was a covert plan for the U.S. military drafted by members of the Joint Chiefs of Staff in the early 60s called Operation Northwoods. I know if I don't mention this, I'm going to get emails about it. It did include plans to sink boats of Cuban refugees on the high seas, hijack U.S. planes, blow up a U.S. ship, uh, and orchestrate other violent terrorism on the U.S. 
you know, to trick the American public and the international community into supporting a war against Cuba. Uh, it was also immediately rejected by the White House, by Kennedy, and then declassified 40 years later. And, and it's disgusting that that was ever proposed. And I know you can argue that, like, well, if they were going to do it in the 60s, they could have done it, you know, with 9-11. And you know what? And I guess they, and I guess they could have. I, I just – it just doesn't feel right to me. It doesn't feel like uh, they would risk getting caught and something like that when it's unnecessary. If the goal is just to go into Afghanistan, if the goal is just to go in Iraq for oil reasons, if that is the goal, to me, 9-11 doesn't need to happen. They can just uh, make up intelligence. That's way easier, I feel. But, but that's just what I think. You know, and, and I also think that because of the money there was to be made in big oil by, in, in, in Iraq, that Bush and Cheney were they were probably dying for a semi-valid reason to get over there, right? The realist in me believes that. You know, I, I do think if Iraq didn't have vast quantities of oil that we were interested in, I don't think we would have went there. I, I think terrorism was the moral justification for that war, and, and I think oil was the financial incentive to actually go through with it. And by the way, if you're a veteran who fought over there, I don't think morally speaking it matters if oil was the real reason we went there or not. I think you risking your life to topple a sadistic totalitarian regime more than justifies your involvement. And you're a goddamn hero for doing what you did. So much respect. Uh, yeah. So so uh, let's see what the true conspiracy theories uh, theorists think before we close out with some heroics by checking in uh, with some idiots of the internet. Our first idiot, uh, Avinash Tiwari, posted one year ago under a video called 10 Shocking Conspiracies About 9-11 that you are forgetting to mention all big celebrities and big shots who are supposed to be in the building that day and canceled. This is so good. This is so dumb. So Avinash, let me get this straight. You think that the U.S. government blew up its own buildings, killed its own citizens, an evil deed that if discovered would not only get the president impeached, but several White House members literally executed for mass murder and treason. You believe... That to be true, but also believe the government was was able was willing to risk exposing themselves to get big shots and celebrities out of there, right? Like, how do you think that went down? Just okay, Mr. President, everything's set. We're ready to go full evil. We're ready to detonate the twin towers. Uh, and you have the fake hijackers on the planes. Okay, good. And those are ready to fly into the buildings. Okay, good. Piloted by excellent U.S. pilots, we somehow talked into killing themselves and killing thousands of fellow citizens so we can make oil money. Yes, Mr. President, everything's working out great. All set. No one's ever going to find out. Ha! Awesome. Let's go ahead. Oh, wait, Mr. President. We just got word that Robert De Niro stepped into one of the towers to have breakfast. Oh, no, 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 no. Do, do not detonate. Do not detonate the buildings. We cannot risk killing the guy from Godfather. Uh, Mr. President, that's, that's Al Pacino. That is, that is Pacino. De Niro's actually the guy from Cape Fear Taxi uh, Casino. Oh, oh, God. Oh, those movies are great. That's even, he's even more important. We cannot blow up buildings that may have De Niro in them. Get him out of there. Get De Niro out. God, I wonder if anyone else as important is in the building. Are there, hold on. Are there any big shots in the buildings? Uh, Warren McKinley is in the North Tower, Mr. President. Who, who's that? Total big shot, sir. Uh, owns a yacht, drives a fancy car, has a young model for a uh, mistress, and smokes cigars. Son of a bitch. He really is a big shot. Well, get him out too then. Uh, then. Then we'll blow it up after the big shot and the celebrities are up. So idiotic. Idiot Nathan Bales has a uh, his own uh, moronic twist to the 9-11 theories, typing nine months ago. I think that the North Tower was a controlled demolition, but the South Tower was taken down in a simultaneous and unrelated terrorist attack. Building 7 was a structural malfunction caused by an accidental incident involving the subway station underneath the building and a dog. What the hell are you talking about? 
How do you, how does your brain get to that place that you think a dog is what caused the one of the buildings to go down? I'd love to hear this guy at a conspiracy convention. Uh, does anyone else have anything to add? Uh, yes, I do. I, what about the dog in a subway? Uh, dog in a sub, the dog, the exploding dog in the subway set the building on fire, set building seven on fire. Sir, this is a serious convention. We're here to talk about legitimate conspiracies like uh, how Katy Perry is an Illuminati puppet. Uh, This is serious stuff, sir. This is real. I don't remember all the details, but basically, German Shepherd or or maybe Malamute or, wait, no, Doberman. No, wait, Dalmatian. Yes, Dalmatian. Trying to get on subway, afternoon 9-11, slipped and fell on tracks instead. Uh, Okay. And then what do you think happened? I think I exploded. It totally exploded. Where'd you, where did you hear that? I read it in a book I saw in a dream. Get that guy the hell out of here. We're trying to run a serious conspiracy now convention. And then the guy, the guy just screams as the, the dragon boy, the dog exploded. The dog exploded. All right. One more idiot. A year ago, Jesus Gonzalez. Jesus. I realize it's probably Jesus. Uh, Jesus Gonzalez uh, posted, it's videos like this that make me wonder why the government has taken down, hasn't taken down this channel yet. It may not be illegal what they post, but when has technically not illegal ever stopped them? I can answer that, Jesus. It's because these videos are dumb and the government doesn't have time to deal with this dumb shit. <laughs> All right? The, the powers that be love it when you focus on this stuff as opposed to wage inequality. The, the, the crippling financial actions of morally bankrupt pharmaceutical and health insurance corporate leaders and corporate lobbyists fattening their pockets. Keep fighting imaginary monsters so that the real ones can go stronger and unstoppable. Don't focus on the skyrocketing cost of higher education and the fact that less and less uh, college graduates and middle-class Americans will ever be able to afford a home because of the crippling amount of debt they enter the workforce with. Don't focus on credit companies squeezing the goddamn life out of an entire generation of young Americans while these companies uh, that they owe money to are bailed out time and time again by taxes taking from the same customers the companies are squeezing when the companies can't pay their own debts because they're too big to fail. What about the common citizenry? Shouldn't we be too big to fail? Stay distracted, man. Stay focused on lunacy. Remain a true idiot of the internet. Okay, conspiracies can be argued back and forth until the end of time. What can be disputed is that some real-life heroes stepped up on 9-11 and that their tales should never be forgotten. Before we get into today's top five takeaways, uh, let's look at a few of their unbelievably inspiring stories. NYPD officer Moira Smith was the first officer to report the terrorist attacks of September 11th when she saw the first plane strike the first tower of the World Trade Center. She was a 13-year veteran, ran into the towers, began assisting others in the evacuation. Her coolness under pressure was remembered by a survivor, Martin Glynn. He said the mass of people exiting the building felt the calm assurance that they were being directed by someone in authority who was in control of the situation. Her actions even seemed ordinary, even commonplace. She insulated the evacuees from the awareness of the dangerous situation they were in with the result that everything proceeded smoothly. Well, Officer Smith is credited with saving hundreds of lives that day, giving her own life in the process. She was the only female NYPD officer to die on 9-11, and she was survived by a two-year-old daughter and her husband. Wells Crowther was an investment banker working for Sandler O'Neill and Partners on the 104th floor of Two World Trade Center, the South Tower. When UA Flight 175 struck the South Tower, Crowther remained calm. Just minutes after the plane hit, he called his mother to let her know he was okay. He then began assisting others in evacuating, at one point carrying a woman down 17 flights of stairs, only to return to the 78th floor to continue helping others. Crowther had made it out of the building 
and was running back into it with the Jaws of Life tool when the towers collapsed. He died at 24 years old. 31-year-old Mark Bingham was the CEO of the Bingham Group, a San Francisco-based PR firm. On September 11, 2001, Bingham was seated in first class on United Flight 93 en route from Newark to San Francisco when hijackers rushed the cockpit in an effort to crash the plane into the Capitol building in Washington, D.C. In addition to the White House, which I mentioned earlier, there was also speculation that the Capitol building was a target, and that's what some people believed. Uh, Bingham, a six-foot-five-inch rugby player who had once disarmed a man who attempted to rob him at gunpoint, is thought to be one of a group of passengers who successfully thwarted the terrorist plot. Senator John McCain delivered his eulogy, saying, It is now believed that the terrorists on Flight 93 intended to crash the airplane into the United States Capitol where I work, the great house of democracy where I was that day. It is very possible that I would have been in the building with a great many other people when that fateful, terrible moment occurred and a beautiful symbol of our freedom was destroyed along with hundreds, if not thousands of lives. I may very well owe my life to Mark and the others who summoned the enormous courage and love necessary to deny those depraved, hateful men their terrible triumph. Such a debt you incur incur for life. Bingham, who is openly gay, was honored in a documentary about his life entitled The Rugby Player. Ronald Paul Buca was a fire marshal with 23 years' experience with the fire department in New York City. An Army Special Forces reservist, Buca was known as the Flying Fireman after a spectacular fall from a tenement fire escape years before. He was also a marathon runner who died responding to the 78th floor of the South Tower moments before it collapsed. 62-year-old Rick Riscoria was a veteran of both the British and American Army, working in corporate security for Morgan Stanley on the 44th floor of the South Tower. When the tower was struck, he ignored intercom instructions for workers to remain at their desks and immediately began assisting people to leave the building. As he directed people out, he boosted spirits by singing songs from his native Cornwall, England. He also called his wife Susan, who had been watching the attacks on TV. The New Yorker recounts some of his last words to her were, Stop crying. I have to get these people out safely. If something should happen to me, I want you to know I've, been, I've never been happier. You made my life. Wow, Jesus. Uh, Rescoria then contacted a friend, Dan Hill, and asked him to call his wife to calm her down. He is credited for saving most of the lives of Morgan Stanley's workers that day. Whew. Uh, man, uh, his remains were never found. Holy shit, man. That one almost made me start crying in the middle of Starbucks when I read it. The calling his wife part, man, just telling her about, Jesus, you made my life. God dang, man, these people. These are the kind of people I think we should remember when we, when we remember 9-11. Just fucking heroes. And to all you heroes out there who, who fought in the war since 9-11, thank you, man, for the sacrifices you made to keep the rest of us safe. This is the kind of shit that makes me proud to be American. Proud to be a human, really. Other nations have their heroes, too. It's so easy to get bogged down in the stories of bad people out there. It's easy to forget people like Risk, Riscoria, you know, Ronald, Paul Buca, Mark Bingham, Wells Crowther, and uh, Mara Smith. And uh, actually, his name is Rick Rescorla. My eyes. My eyes are a little, little foggy from all, all the smoke in Idaho lately. No joke. Side note there, it's been incredible, air, uh, horrible air quality. My eyes have been burning for like a week. And I thought that L was an eye. It's Rick Rescorla. All right, let's take one more look back with some top five takeaways. Time suck. Top five takeaways. Number one, on September 11th, 2001, 2,753 people were killed when hijacked American Airlines Flight 11. United Airlines Flight 175 were intentionally crashed into the north and south towers of the World Trade Center. 184 people were killed when hijacked American Airlines Flight 77 crashed into the Pentagon. And 40 passengers uh, and crew members aboard United Airlines Flight 93 died when their plane crashed into a field near Shanksville, Pennsylvania. Number two, seven 
$7 trillion in projected interest payments for loans taken out by the U.S. government to pay for the second Gulf War due by 2053. And you thought you were carrying an enormous amount of credit card debt. Number three, Navy SEALs took out bin piece of shit Laden on uh, Osama bin piece of shit Laden on May 2, 2011. But thanks to TSA, that son of a bitch is still torturing Americans every day. Sorry, TSA agents. You TSA time suckers, but you know that while we appreciate you keeping us safe, God, we want to punch you in your smug faces sometimes when you treat us like prison inmates instead of paying airline customers. Number four, October 26, 2001, President Bush signed the U.S. Patriot Act into law, and because of that, the government might be legally going through your phone right now. Be afraid. Be very afraid. Uh, number five, new info, 9-11 heroes who sacrificed their lives to save others didn't all die on 9-11. As of last week, 159 New York Fire Department members have died of illnesses from working at Ground Zero since 9-11, cancer being the main culprit. Also, by the end of 2016, 132 additional city cops have died of illnesses that can be linked back to their time spent at Ground Zero. As of last month, the, Feb- the federal September 11th Victim Compensation Fund has given out $2.8 billion to nearly 17,000 victims suffering from cancer or injuries sustained during the terror attacks. If you were in Lower Manhattan, Fresh Kills Landfill, Barges, Morgues, or anywhere else along routes of debris removal from 9-11-2001 to May 30th, 2002, you may be eligible for free health care and financial compensation. Go to www.vcf.gov to learn more. Link in the episode description. Time suck. Top five. All right, so that's it for the 9-11 Suck. Special thanks to Time Sucker and member of the Bojangles research team, Josh DeCruz, for kicking off the research on today's episode and pointing me in a lot of good directions. Thanks to Time Suckers, Jesse Colton, Ethan N., Jordan Kasusik, Jason Whitman, Guy Green, Richard Sands, Austin Olson, Sean Davis, Ashley Schweitzer, Tim Epps, Adam Lombardo, at Jordy1989 on Instagram, and many others I'm sure I've missed for requesting today's episode. Also, I uh, had a blast on the fabulous podcast, The Crab Feast, with Ryan Sickler and Jay Larson, and I had an awesome time on another phenomenal pa- podcast, uh, A View from the Cheap Seats. Uh, that's A View from the Cheap Seats with the Sklar Brothers, both episodes out now. The Crab Feast is great storytelling podcast uh, hosted by two very funny storytellers in comics, Jay Larson uh, and Ryan Sickler. Jay Larson has some of the uh, the best bits I've ever heard. He, he just he's so imaginative and, and out there. I just especially love his style of stand-up. Truly one of my favorite comics and has been for many, many years. And A View from the Cheap Seats is a fantastic sports co- podcast uh, hosted by the incomparable Sklar Brothers podcast royalty. Uh, they've had numerous comedy specials also as well. One is on Netflix now called uh, What Are We Talking About? And they're exactly who they seem to be, just funny, good dudes. Always really uh, had a lot of respect for those guys and admired their comedy as well. Thanks to those of you who support the show by using the Amazon button on timesuckpodcast.com to do your shopping. You can also check out those tour dates on the site. And, of course, the new hats. Make Nimrod happy. Uh, he, uh, he He's very pleased with how the hats turned out. Got a new uh, sneak peek uh, of the Time Suck app this past Friday. God dang, that was so awesome, man. Uh, really amazing to see the first screenshots of what the Time Suck app uh, is going to look like. And uh, had, a, had a meeting with the Time Suck app team, the Bit Elixir guys, and they are just working their asses off to make this thing phenomenal. So putting a lot of fun little touches, a lot of doodads in there to make it fun and make it very user-friendly, easy to use. So that way, once we get that thing out, you don't have to worry about you know Google, Android, iOS, whatever you're using. Just get the app. And it's going to play perfectly right there. And uh, very pumped for that. A few tickets uh, still on sale for the first ever live taping of Time Suck at the Melrose Improv on Thursday, October 5th. And, and the stand-up show October 7th at the same venue. Ticket links in the episode description. 
And this Friday, man, the Salem witch trials between uh, 1692 and 1693, more than 200 people were accused of practicing witchcraft, the devil's magic, and 20 were executed in colonial Massachusetts. By May 1693, the governor had pardoned all involved, uh, which didn't do any favors for the 19 people who were already hanged. Yeah, they're not caring much about a pardon at that point. Uh, neither is the elderly man who, who died uh, as a result of uh, being pressed to death with heavy stones. What does that mean? I don't know yet. I'm going to find out. Sounds horrible. In 1711, restitution was given to the families of the witches that were killed. Strange times in America's early puritanical history, and I can't wait to have some dark fun with it this Friday. And now, it's those Time Sucker updates. Updates? Get your Time Sucker updates. User at meme underscore four underscore the underscore many on Instagram sent me a, a KKK episode update saying, Hello, Mr. Cummins. I would like to add that some of the people at Charlottesville were not KKK Nazis. Some of them were concerned citizens sh- scared that history, good or bad, was being destroyed and taken away. I'm not defending the evil acts of the car driver. All I'm saying is that we need our history, and I believe that statue shouldn't be there, but it should be in a museum so we can remember and not do it again. Thank you for reading this. Well, thank you for sending it in. Hail Nimrod. Uh, several interesting points to consider here. First, I think it's important to recognize that not all white people protest on behalf of Robert of a Robert E. Lee statue uh, not being taken down a racist. Robert E. Lee wasn't just a racist. That's a simplistic way to look at him. He was a war hero in the Mexican-American War. He's president of Washington Lee University. University, and he, and he was a product of his time. And here's something else to think about, kind of going off on that. If we tear down the Robert E. Lee statue for its association with slavery, then shouldn't we detonate Mount Rushmore? Two of its faces were slave owners. Jefferson and Washington, if you want to reduce them to just that. Uh, another, Teddy Roosevelt, who is next uh, next Monday's suck, actually, actually once said, the only good Indians are dead Indians. Should we get rid of uh, any and all references and statues of him? You know, Alexander Hamilton, dude on the $10 bills, believed by most historians to have purchased slaves. Should we immediately get rid of that? The, the sad truth is that America's history is extremely intertwined with slavery, and we can't ever change it. So maybe instead of trying to erase it, what if we acknowledge and condemn you know, uh, slavery and the actions of slave owners while also being able to honor the separate actions of some of those same men. I'm not sure what the answer is. I I am sure that tearing down statues of men associated with slavery or racism is going to kick off a real slippery slope, and and where does it end? And and, and I'm sure that these statues are a very painful reminder of a hateful legacy to a lot of African Americans, you know, to what happened to their families. You know, uh, and so I don't want to treat that lightly either. It's tricky, man. If you have a good solution... Send in an email, bojangles at timesuckpodcast.com. Okay, another update for from Time Sucker Liam Collier, uh, who wrote in to say that he found out during a recent genealogy search that he's actually a descendant of the man who first brought slaves to America, Dr. John Woodson. Now he's appalled by this. Well, I will say, Liam, you can't help where you come from. No reason to feel bad. No one picks who their parents are and what they look like. Always good to remember that. Uh, Liam and others also pointed out that in the Iceman episode, I referred to Bucks County which is in Pennsylvania, by the way, as Buck County, singular, the county where the Iceman allegedly uh, hid his bodies in capes. Let me explain why I did this. Uh, I, I said Buck County instead of Bucks County because I fucking hate Bucks County, Pennsylvania. I mean, I, more than you can understand. I hate Bucks County. Let it be known. I hate Bucks County, Pennsylvania, and anyone who's ever been there. Anyone who's ever even been there is a stupid piece of shit. Scientists once did a study to determine where the ugliest, dumbest, and least talented losers on the planet are from. Bucks County, Pennsylvania. People born in Bucks County, Pennsylvania, statistically, smallest, limpest dicks, stinkiest balls, least symmetrical boobs, biggest vaginas, biggest foreheads. 
Not one person from Bucks County, Pennsylvania will ever accomplish, accomplish anything. Ever. Not ever. Okay. Moving on to the final update. Uh, time sucker Andrew uh, Migliorretto. Migliorretto wrote in and, ha, just wait. How messed up would it be if I just never addressed the shit I just said about Bucks County, Pennsylvania? That was all nonsense if you didn't figure that out already. Uh, I just wrote the word down wrong. I wrote uh, Buck instead of Bucks. So sorry about that. Uh, and I do appreciate you pointing it out. I like to be accurate. I, I, I actually have driven through Bucks County, Pennsylvania, and it is beautiful. Okay. I should have, I, I, part of me wants to, wishes I would have just never uh, addressed that and just left what I said about it and just had a certain portion. You'd be like, God, why does he fucking hate it so much? Okay, uh, back to Andrew. Uh, he wrote in with a great subject line. I swear to fucking Christ, you motherfucker. That got my attention. Got my attention. And they said, "Time sucker, greetings, Reverend Doctor Sucker Dan Cummins." First off, let me say that the subject line is about something that drives me crazy. Something that I'm surprised no one's pointed out before because it's come up in a few episodes. Uh, Byzantine is pronounced Byzantine, not Byzantine. I don't know why this bugs the shit out of me, but it just does. Also, if you ever talk about ancient Rome again, please try to remember that General Pom- Pompey is pronounced Pompey. Pompeii is a city that was destroyed by a volcano in ancient times. Fucking idiot. <laughs> that being said, I don't actually think you're an idiot. I think your, your inherent need to learn new things and your desire to share that knowledge makes you the exact opposite of an idiot. The smartest people in the world are the first to admit that they don't know everything. The true idiots are the people who refuse to learn or just don't care enough to not be, oh, how true is that? And, and Andrew goes on to say a lot of uh, cool other, other cool things. Uh, and, and I just wanted to read this, and it, just so I could have a reason to thank all of you for putting up with my mispronunciations and variety of mistakes here, and, and understanding that the true essence of Time Suck is, is about you know being able to make mistakes and then being able to admit when you're wrong when you make them. It's about being curious, which I love, you know, because you know a curious intellectual doesn't need doesn't need a degree. You you can have a PhD or you can be a high school dropout, and if the suck is strong in you, in my eyes. You're an equal intellectual, man. You're someone who wants to learn, and that's beautiful. It makes me feel better about the world knowing that you are in it. Seriously, the world does have open-minded, wonderful people. And knowing you listen makes me work that much harder to be the best version of myself and not let you down. So thanks for reminding me that not everyone out there is a piece of shit. Thanks for sucking with me each week. Thanks, time suckers. I needed that. We all did. So that's all we have until Friday. Until then, keep spreading the stuck, suck, you know. Stay curious. Don't go to a church or, or, or meeting where someone's telling you to, you got to blow some shit up to get the world back in a good place. And, and keep on sucking so hard, you might accidentally punch a suck hole clear through the back of your mind. are true overwhelming power sauce of destiny yes the most legendary sauce has arrived as mcdonald's transforms into the anime world of wickdonald's the greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili wickdonald's sauce to make your 10-piece wick nuggets fries and sprite ultra powerful unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at wickdonald's ba-da-ba-ba-ba go and participate in mcdonald's for a limited time while supplies last in a fast-paced world, every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia.